This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action, with host Armand Shraki. Each week, Armand will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hi, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. I'm pleased to have Michael Ramps Baker with us with a company Trulio, and he is the CPO, Chief Product Officer at the company. So Michael, welcome to the chat. Yeah, great to be here, Armin. Glad to have the chance to speak with you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and then also about the company, what problems you are trying to solve? Sure. As you mentioned, my name is Michael Ramsbacker. I'm the Chief Product Officer with Trulio. Trulio is an identity platform company. So we provide identity verification services to businesses that need to verify the identity of the users on their platforms and businesses as well. So if you're a uh, bank or a marketplace In many cases, you have KYC or know your customer regulations that you need to adhere to. And so truly you provide services to allow those businesses to verify the identities of the people that are joining their systems. Is there a particular sector that you guys normally work with or particular size, particular geographic? Truly you specializes in providing these services to large enterprises that need coverage across multiple countries to operate in international markets. And we service those enterprises across crypto, payments platforms, marketplaces, and traditional banks and financial institutions. But really the common denominator across those sectors is they operate in international markets. So they need to verify identities in upwards of 70 countries on a daily basis. And that's where Trulyu services really provide value is through our single platform. You can verify identities of people in Australia or Brazil or United States or Canada. And like I said, up to 70 different countries. Very interesting. You know, that's something that as internet grows and SaaS companies grow, it's getting more important. It's just one of those aspects of any SaaS application that needs to manage that part of the application. Absolutely. You know, the internet was built without an inherent identity layer for people and business. There's no standards or protocols. And so identity verification is really a necessary element of our digital economy. 
And like I said, it's needed for both regulation compliance. But even if you're not a regulated company, it's also necessary for trust and safety for the users on your platform. Yeah, it's an absolutely critical part of the digital economy today, and it's only increasing in importance. Yeah, actually, it was created on the opposite side. It was created for being anonymous easily, even when you send email or do anything. And now we are kind of doing other things to fix the problem that essentially it was supposed to be like that. I mean, probably when internet started, one of the attractions was that, hey, it's very democratic in a way, and people can really go there and express themselves freely without even identifying themselves. Or And then we realized that that can be very problematic and in reality and in action is not the perfect situation in all cases. Yeah, you're exactly right. The internet was created for anonymous people behind chat boards. What's interesting is that same paradigm is playing out today in the crypto sector, right? Mm -hmm. Crypto currency and other tokenized applications were created based on the pseudo-anonymization of public-private key pairs. Mm -hmm. And that was great in the early days, but for those technologies to go more mainstream, the identity verification processes are really going to become more important. So that pattern of anonymization creating challenges for adoption is playing out again in crypto. Now, talking about the product management that is your role in the company, and I have noticed that you have been in that role for a number of companies and most recently with Trulio. SaaS, of course, adds a number of characteristics to the equation, including the way you work with customers that are subscribers, essentially, to your software as a service, and then also the way you upgrade the software, the way you develop even the software, the technology stacks, the deployment and distribution model, everything is different. So along with that, how do you see the role of product managers in this kind of modern phenomenon known as SaaS have changed? Yeah, I think some of the things that are the same is being aware of your customers' problems, bringing them solutions that have value. But one of the things that is different in kind of a modern SaaS company is the flat distributed teams. You have smaller product teams that work with hundreds of engineers. And my philosophy that to be successful is we need those scrum teams and those engineers making as many independent decisions as possible and try and decentralize the decision-making. So it's really the role of product managers in an organization that is flat and decentralized to really provide meaning and context and information that allows as many of the teams to act semi-autonomously as possible, right? So you want high alignment and high autonomy. That's the goal. And for me, that's the mission of product management within a modern SaaS company. 
Yeah, that's a fascinating topic because not just in product management, in any system, even in a country, even society, from business aspect, even some businesses making, you know, doing something together, you always want the distributed model because it's more scalable. The more yeah. you really decentralize it, the better, because when you centralize it, then it's the one single point of failure and sometimes it's hard to scale. But at the same time, the key point is the reason historically from the beginning of our civilization, we have been gravitated toward centralizing whenever there was a problem because it was easier to just create that harmony. And whenever we got a little bit more advanced and we could afford and we could handle things better, then we realize decentralized model is better. So we gravitated toward, again, decentralizing unless until the point that, again, a disaster or something happened and we kind of moved toward centralizing to move act to move and act faster. Now, in a software organization that you are building this software, this product, engineers are working, QA is working, all of the different layers of product are in motion. Uh, such an alignment, even if it's kind of distributed model, it requires some particular kind of culture. And I guess probably it defines what kind of team members do you need for that kind of, you know, building that alignment. From your perspective, that alignment at the same time decentralized, what kind of people, what kind of resources, what kind of mindset, whatever you name it, culture, needs to be in place in order for that to come to life. Yeah, I think it starts with the relationship between your head of product and your chief technical officer, because it requires a high degree of trust between those two departments. And I think it starts with the leaders of those departments. For example, here at Trulio, I have a great relationship with our CTO. There's a high amount of trust between the two of us. And they're looking for the product team to push them to go faster and lay out value out in front of them. And we trust that they can make decisions along that path. It starts with the leaders and understanding the roles and responsibilities Again, earlier in my career, people thought of product management as the CEO of a product, which is not really accurate because you don't have the people that are building the product, selling the product, marketing the product, don't report to you in product management. They report to other people. And so you're clearly not the CEO. And so to be effective, you need those people to execute. And so if the product management team is aligning those different organizations, you can be effective. And the biggest part of that, creating that alignment is communication. Product managers are communicators first and foremost, and they should be communicating the what and the why and relying on those organizations to execute the how. Now, with regard to new technologies coming to market and doing the product development with AI and machine learning and those technologies in mind, how does it impact the way you see the product with those functionalities in mind? In other words, 
is there any difference from your perspective if you had company A and company B and you were product manager and head of product management there, one company does it without any AI and ML and the other company, the same product, but doing with a lot of AI and ML technologies, does it impact at all the process? Does it impact the way you look at the product and you want to really do the same or you know accomplish the same goals that you want to accomplish in either way? Yes, it absolutely changes it. In fact, I think SaaS solutions that are based on AI impact every role within the company, not just product and just not engineering, but also how you sell the product. But more specifically with product, you're no longer just inputting a set of deterministic business rules or requirements or user stories and then having those be developed and released. And if somebody asks you, what does this product do? You can point them to a set of business rules or descriptions that are deterministic. When you're dealing with AI, you're dealing with probabilistic outcomes. There's a famous quote saying that all models are wrong, but some are useful. I like that because you have to embrace the fact that your AI models will get answers wrong. And so I think it's really important that if you're dealing with a solution that's based on AI, the product managers are well-versed in how you monitor and measure and improve the efficacy of those models. So you have to learn the language of confusion matrix and ROC curves and false positive rates and true negative rates, et cetera, et cetera, because that's really how you describe how well your solution is working. And not to mention that the data is the product, right? The machine learning doesn't exist without the data. So before you even think about the types of models, you have to think about the data and the data pipelines. So yes, it's a very different process using AI and ML. And it also impacts, like I said, how you sell those products. Yeah, I love the way you described it because essentially the fact that you are now, if someone is working with the data, as a product versus working just the product is totally different and it's way more dynamic because data as a product now it can change the behavior can change and then mixing it with machine learning algorithms and everything it just adds way more dynamism to the whole equation that very interesting kind of way to look at it yeah and it's a journey it's not hey, we built a model and released it and we're done. It's a continuous process of evaluating, retraining, retesting, and then starting all over again. You need to be prepared to also scale that because the more models, the more data, the more labeling, it becomes a scaling, different set of scaling issues as well. Normally when something is known, it's something you have done a number of times before. There are less chance 
for unpredictable stuff to happen, right? So you know, you started from here, you ended there, so you can schedule it, you can have some predictability and planning there, and everyone knows we are going to have a release, the alpha or beta is going to be at this time, and then we are going to release it and make it part of the product. And of course, everyone on the revenue side of the company appreciate that because they wanted to plan accordingly on the marketing or the sales or everything, so they know this is what we are going to get. At the same time, when something is very new, then it's hard to do these kind of things because it's new. So the more dynamic it is, the more you have to plan it differently. How do you really on your side and the product management go after this new stuff that you cannot have that much predictability in the equation? Yeah, I think you need to clearly communicate where your product or feature is on the product life cycle, right? Is this a capability that's experimental? Is it a science experiment, if you will? Is it simply a vehicle for learning? Or is it a proving capability that's still in the introduction phase? And so I think being clear and with your go-to-market teams and your broader cross-functional organization, I think is important because it's okay to have a product or a feature that you're learning from, experimenting, but that's very different than something that's generally available and you're expecting your sellers to sell it broadly. So I think just clearly defining where things are in the life cycle is important and thinking about capabilities across different time horizons is also helpful. How do you see the identity management, knowing and ensuring that there is a trust as we are getting into this digital economy more and more? And then is it something that when you look at it, you say, you know, I can see how it can be totally different 10 years from now because of these reasons. You know, if someone was talking about autonomous driving and vehicles 10 years ago, someone could say, yes, that's coming, but there's still, there are a lot of things need to be done, right? So you need to have better connectivity. You need to have better processors. You need to have better software and algorithms to be written. You need to collect a lot of data. You need to have thousands of vehicles and tens of thousands of them available and people start driving and the algorithm get trained. So there are a lot of things and elements need to be gathered together and then all of those collectively can make a difference. Now we are looking at this kind of the digital world that is what we envision is 100% trust. It's not just from trust and security and identity management perspective, but also from convenience, to be honest with you. I mean, how many times you have to enter your password, how many times you can remember, how many times you can reset. I mean, if you add probably with my bad memory, I would tell you that 20% of my life is just about password management every time I forget about it and these kind of things and device changes. And then it, for whatever reason, they ask me to restart and all of that, not just the, so what's the foundational things that need to be in place in order for us to have that kind of convenient as well as trusted kind of identity management in digital world that we live in? There are a lot of problems with identity today, both in verification, like the services Truly provides in the industry, 
as well as what you alluded to in terms of authentication with passwords and usernames, et cetera. In the near term, in terms of identity verification, there's a lot we can do to make the different solutions better. The data checks and document verification, we can bring those services together more cohesively. But in the long term, if we think you use the time frame of 10 years, it's difficult to make a prediction that far out, but I can hypothesize. The main problem is as a consumer, you have to re-verify your identity over and over and over and over again with every service provider that you interact with digitally, every app, every website, and you have your own username and password credentials that you use for each of those. And hopefully you're using a different password for each one, but most people don't. And that means you're providing your PII and your sensitive information over and over and over again. And it's not convenient and it's not very secure. So there's a future state where an individual has more control over their private information and they're able to re- use credentials from one service provider to the next and do that in a non-password way where biometrics are potentially securing the interaction. So I think there's a future state, whether it's five years or 10 years, where identity and identity access management is more consumer-centric and more with privacy by design that provides much more convenience and much more security. I think the technologies are emerging and exist to make that a reality. I think the commercial models and the participation in those types of networks between service providers is less clear. I think government will have a role to play in creating that world. There are protocols and standards that some government agencies around the world are developing to help foster and create that environment. But that's generally the direction of identity over the next five to 10 years. These SaaS companies that we see them started now, and many of them based on the latest and greatest you know, technologies that we have, and the new like AWS these kind of cloud companies are acting like an operating system for them. So in old days, you know, you were choosing an operating system that you are building your software on. Well, it is the most advanced operating system we have now if you are using AWS, for example, with all of these services that they offer. So your software can be built upon that. At the same time, it just makes your software application in a way that you have all of these services underneath that you can use, but not just them, but also on other parts, you can just bring and embed a lot of technologies rather than building everything from scratch. And the identity management part can be one of those very dominant, probably services that can be just infused within each application and any SaaS application in one way of, you know, or the other. And then that way, 
Perhaps even some layers will exist in all of these cloud offerings from Azure to AWS to GCP that will be shared in the future, I guess, that makes that happening. So it will be cross-cloud. That's at least what my dream is. You know, in that way, it will be very unified. Is it the kind of future you see that that will be a very known layer that software companies, if I start my SaaS company tomorrow morning, I don't need necessarily to write all of these algorithms myself. I'm just taking advantage of what has been created by either those or some companies like the company you are working with provided so we can really take that and add it to the software. I don't know that I see the services as identity services as first class citizens of the cloud compute platforms you mentioned, but I'll just give you an example. The enterprises that we work with typically have anywhere from 20 to 40 different identity services integrated into their platforms. They've done that internally. The vision for Trulio is that we're able to consolidate those capabilities into more of a unified platform Mm -hmm. with layered capabilities that those companies configure for what's appropriate for them in their use case. So yes, I do think that we'll see consolidation of capabilities into platforms and that SaaS companies will have to do less custom integration with multiple vendors and they'll be able to use more of a unified platform. I hope that platform's truly you. But I think that's generally what will be more widely used than the way it's done today by integrating a bunch of different solutions together. Now, what I would like for you also to help us with, and I'm changing gears a little bit here, but getting back to, again, the fact that as CPO, you are working with a good-sized company and you are managing the team over there. and the product seems to be pretty sophisticated product as well. So it comes with a lot of experience and, you know, you are also offering this internationally as well as domestically. And all of those adds more layers to what really needs to be done. When you are looking at, of course, product managers starting now, and we have more product managers than ever, because we realize that we need to build more products and software is kind of dominating the world. So for these products, we need more product, also managers. Of course, the rule number one is understand your customers, understand your need, no doubt about it. And every single customer matters to know exactly, you know, if you can scale that customer, replicate that customer, and then understanding overall the customers, that means market. And now you understand the market very well. But in addition to that point, that is a must-have. If you want to mention something to any product manager starting today and working with these startups, if you wanted to tell them, these are some five, ten lessons that you have to pay attention because I learned it through the years, or these are the essentials you need to really go and just search and learn about it. What are those essentials? What are those really main things that over the course of years you learned. And now you think that, you know, if someone wanted to start today, you could give them this kind of list and say, go and just educate yourself on these top items because it will work very well. If you know them, it will be useful for you. 
Yeah. The first thing is I would tell someone that there's different types of product managers. We're people and we're individuals and we have uniqueness. Some product managers are more technically minded. Some are more design focused. Some are more business oriented and that's okay. And there's a role for all of those product managers within any large product team or SaaS company. But I think the one commonality across different types is in the product role, you have to be curious. You have to want to get to the why of things. And you mentioned focusing on customers. And I think that's a great way to build a product is to find a customer that's using your product or an opportunity and really learn about their problems and their alternatives and how you can create opportunity and solve problems for them and then try and pattern match that to the next set of customers in the market. But again, you have to be curious. You have to learn about that customer. You have to learn about their business. And that curiosity and that learning applies to design and technology and not just customer problems. So I think that's a number one thing. And then I mentioned it earlier, communication, communication skills. You can't communicate to everybody the way you might communicate to an engineering team. So you have to think about your methods of communication, the granularity of your information and who you're talking to. And you put those together along with the understanding that you're also an information broker. Your job is to bring information from different groups and different peoples and disseminate that to create the alignment across the organization. So those are just some kind of characteristics that I think are universal, regardless of what type of product manager you are. The other question I hear a lot, and a question meaning that I understand it's different from company to company, but in general, as a chief product officer, someone on top that oversees the whole product, has the vision and roadmap management, owns the roadmap and everything, how do you balance between external and internal? Because you have to pay attention to all of the things happening internally, meaning that product is being developed, engineering is working, all of the people working internally, as well as the external stuff that is happening and all of the tasks and customers are outside the company and the market is moving, competitors are introducing new things. Customers sometimes even might have a special needs and you need to understand those new needs around your product to talk with them, meet with them. All of these things that, again, exist on the external side, as well as a lot of things going every day internal, how do you balance it out? Is it something that you would say, as a chief product officer, I'm mostly, most of my time is outside, and then other people helping me are taking care of the internal, or is something that is 50-50, or is more like majority of time has to be spent internally to make the product work? Yeah, I think... You have to, good ideas come from everywhere, right? Good ideas come from inside the company and good ideas come from outside the company. 
So I don't think of it as inside or outside. I think of it in terms of timeline. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I spend a lot of time with customers. I spend time listening and talking with partners, competitors, and what's happening in the industry. But I also spend a lot of time talking with fellow executives and people within the company. And then I try and synthesize all of those sources to be setting the agenda 12 months out from where my team is operating. Mm -hmm. So just like it's important for my team to be setting the agenda and the features in front of the teams that are working on the next sprint or the next two sprints or the next three sprints, I need to be setting the agenda and the strategy for my team that's 12 months out. So I try and balance my time across time horizon, less balance between inside and outside. I have to make sure I'm getting both of those, but I don't want to be spending all my time thinking about the next release and sacrificing not thinking about the next year or the next quarter. So that's, I I think, more about time horizon than, than inside versus outside. Makes sense. Great point. At the end, I would like to ask you if you have any particular book or books in mind that you can recommend, something you liked, even might be a blog post or might be a podcast, something that you have spent time or you have spent time and you have found it very impactful in what you do that might help other colleagues and people in SaaS world. And if it's not technical or SaaS oriented as well, it's fine. (laughs) At the end of the day, something that positively impacts us can impact all aspects of what we do. Yeah, I think one of the things that I think about a lot is I try and be a better manager because I really succeed through the people that I work with. And my job is to make them as effective and satisfied in their roles as possible. So a book I read, I don't know, it was probably a couple of years back. It was a guy named Marcus Buckingham wrote Nine Lies About Work, We Tell Ourselves, A Free Thinker's Guide to Leadership. And it really busted some of the myths that have persisted about management and leadership over the years. I got a lot out of it. So I would recommend folks read that. And, and that applies regardless of whether you're in a technical role or not. Great point. And you... Very nicely you put it there. That's correct. You know, all of us are working with people and those people are helping us. And then it's normally, that's the very nice way to look at it, that how we can empower them and help them the same way that they are kind of helping us. So absolutely. That's my first job. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. It was great having you on this chat. Thanks, Armin. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. 
If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.